And so there are three passages, and the first two are on pages four and five of your Bibles in Genesis. And if you want to put a finger in the next ones, they're somewhere around page 1,171. So the first one, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. <clears throat> Next is Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. <clears throat> and now Galatians chapter 3, which is on page 1170, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. A very helpful phrase uh, in the world is there's no copyright in the kingdom. And so um, if you read this book, you'll realise there's not a lot original in what I'm saying this evening. I found this book very, very helpful. I've also listened to a sermon online by Vaughan Roberts. And uh, unashamedly, I want to say that a lot of the points I'm going to make this evening are directly from this. Even the structure of the sermon is very, very similar. Uh, so just for the <laughs> uh, clarity, just so you know that, but I highly recommend this book. And it goes into a bit more detail about some of the issues we're going to think about this evening. Should we pray? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to think about this, uh, this difficult issue, this big issue in our culture. And we do pray this evening you give us wisdom, help us to understand your words, and help us to understand how we might engage in your world with people who um, struggle with this issue. 
and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to start by showing you a video. This is um, a little clip from a documentary that was um, presented by Victoria Derbyshire, which I think was on the BBC. I felt like a boy trapped in a girl's body, and it just really didn't feel right. It was horrible. about when you were treated as a girl and had a girl's name? Um, well, I was treated like any other, anyone else was, um, but I just didn't feel like the same as everyone else, so I felt dif different and I felt that I, I was a boy and I am a boy. I came home, I think it was pretty much every day I came home from school crying because I didn't know how to explain it. If I was to carry on living as a girl, I don't think I, I could do it. I just, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't let anyone see me. I probably wouldn't um, come out of my room. or anybody on the outside looking in to understand that they are trapped in the wrong body and that is how they feel and it's like torture to them every day if someone had said uh, 30 years ago that you'd be able to marry your same-sex partner uh, very few people would have believed you and I guess that today our society broadly accepts that as the norm. Uh, and now transgender is the new big social and cultural issue that is being used to push the boundaries of our society and the ideals of our society. Under the um, 2004 Gender Recognition Act, an adult who has been diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which we'll talk about in a minute, and lived for two years as a person of the opposite sex, can apply for a gender recognition certificate. This means that their legal sex can be changed, including on their birth certificate. Uh, in 2015, July 2015, the Olympic gold medal winning decathlete, uh, Bruce Jenner's uh, transition to becoming a transgender woman called Caitlyn Jenner uh, was announced on the front cover of Vanity Fair magazine. In that same year, Glamour magazine announced that Caitlyn Jenner had won the Woman of the Year Award. Caitlyn was also the star of a, a reality TV programme called I Am Kate that documented her life as a, a, a new transgender woman. And there's been several documentaries and uh, interviews over the last couple of years, including that one, that have raised this issue. And it keeps on coming up in the news, doesn't it? There's issues about where should um, uh, transgender people who are convicted of crimes be housed? In, in a men's prison or a women's prison? Their natural birth sex or their new sex? 
Uh, I don't know if you saw on the news this week, HSBC have changed their forms now. So it's not just Mr, Mrs and Ms. There's a whole host of different options that you can choose to identify yourself. Uh, BBC Two have recently commissioned a new sitcom called Boy Meets Girl. And the star of that, and it's all about a transgender relationship. These are, these are massive issues in our society. And, and for the Christian, I think it's very hard to know how we should respond. Should we say something? Should we disagree? If we dare to speak out, we risk being called a bigot or perhaps something worse. And these issues are so incredibly personal for people. So they're very, very sensitive issues. And it's one thing thinking about society more broadly, but what about if it's my son, my daughter, my friend? What if it's them who is thinking about transitioning? What do we do? And how do we react on a Sunday morning if a transgender man or woman walks into our service? What do we do? Popular uh, American uh, theologian and preacher Dr. Al Mohler said this, The transgender revolution represents one of the most difficult pastoral challenges this generation of Christians will face. Now, these are difficult and sensitive issues, and this evening we're we're literally just going to begin the conversation. And I hope that we'll go away and read and talk more widely on these issues. So how should we respond? Well, it's on your handout, it's on the screen. The first thing is this, we need to respond with compassion. Uh, This is the the NHS defined gender dysphoria as this. A condition where a person experiences discomfort or distress because there's a mismatch between their biological sex and gender identity. So in other words, they might genetically, someone might genetically be a boy or a girl, but psychologically and emotionally, as that little lad articulates, they don't feel like a girl, they feel like a boy. They feel like they're trapped inside the wrong body. Now, I can't imagine that having that feeling is at all easy. And in fact, that short video clip at the beginning sort of begins to give us a bit of a window into how hard it might be for someone who's experiencing gender dysphoria. The term transgender uh, is an an umbrella term to describe a whole range of different expressions of those who feel that their gender doesn't match their birth sex. And, And people will act on these feelings in all sorts of different ways. Some might continue on as they are in their struggle, Others might cross-dress, either privately or publicly. Others might undergo some sort of gender reassignment surgery. Whichever expression people choose, we must remember that whatever decision they come to wasn't taken easily, lightly. It was probably the result of a huge amount of anguish and anxious thoughts. I was at um, Winchester train station the other day and I saw two lads... Um, dressed in women's clothes, and they were sort of ball gown type women's dresses. And they stood out a mile. And I'd been thinking about this sermon, and it just made me think, I wonder how they felt the first time they stepped out in public wearing girls' clothes. I imagine incredibly scared, perhaps slightly ashamed, 
I wonder what they must have had to gone through, gone through internally to make that decision to step out in the clothes of the opposite sex. And what about the decision to come to, sur- to have surgery, to reassign your gender? I mean, the amount of physical cost and distress that, that would cause you, that is not a decision that you take lightly, is it? Behind every expression of transgender will be a story, a human story. I was um, chatting to someone else this week who uh, knows someone, and this person he knows has has been married for many years. He had a good job as an IT consultant. Uh, His life looked pretty much like mine or yours would. However, his his marriage broke down, he lost his job, and... uh, a whole host of factors mean that he now lives as a transgender woman and has undergone gender reassignment surgery. And his life is now pretty horrible. Or her life is now pretty horrible. She is regularly abused by local kids. She lives in squalor. She has all sorts of mental issues. You see, behind every expression of transgender will be a human story, a story of confusion, of pain, of hurt, perhaps rejection. And therefore, we must treat people as human beings. People made in God's image. An image that we'll see shortly has been distorted and marred, but an image that still remains no matter how dimly. Therefore, no matter how people look and how people sound, we're to treat all people with dignity and respect. See, our first response as Christians should be one of compassion. But our first response of compassion shouldn't be our only response. Secondly, we need to respond with conviction. A a few years ago, if you'd seen in a film uh, two men or two women kissing, uh, whether or not the transgenders are relevant, yet alone anything else like that, most people's natural response would be to think that was horrible. And we, we might say so. Those days, you know, we'd probably say our, our reaction would be yuck, but, but now in today's culture, it's different, isn't it? Today's culture, we're more likely to respond in unquestioning affirmation. Hence, a film like Brokeback Mountain was a huge box office success. It's a film all about a gay relationship. Now, when we think about uh, people's expression of uh, transgender and associated relationships, we should not respond with, with outward repulsion or a yuck because that is not compassionate to human beings with stories. However, we must also be careful to avoid unquestioning affirmation. Because God's word has much to say about this issue, we need to respond with conviction. And I want to explore that a bit this evening. The first way that we can respond with conviction is to challenge society's ideas of autonomy and freedom. The Christian worldviews that have underpinned much of the formation of our society and our culture, well, those things are beginning to ebb away. And they're being replaced by a new worldview, an atheistic worldview, a materialistic worldview. And that worldview that says, look, in this world, all there is is stuff. Just stuff. You and I are 
genetic mutations. We are a random product of time, chance, matter. There's no greater purpose in this life than replicating your DNA. That's all you're here to do. And therefore, as, as a result, there is no ultimate moral code by which we should live. So now, individual is king. I think the great uh, values in our society are autonomy, freedom, and independence. And to take away these things from people is to deny them of their human rights, to stop them being who they are. I think that's why people are so hostile to any teaching or agenda that would say or dare to suggest that transgender is wrong. Because people believe that we are free to create our own story. But, but of course, there's a, there's a big problem with that, isn't it? And the problem is this. Actually, none of us want unrestricted freedom. We don't want murderers not to be punished because they're just living out their story. No, we want restrictions. We think, we think some things are right and wrong. We want restrictions on what people can and can't do. So the actual question is not about our freedom. It's about what things should be restricted. And how do we know what things should be restricted? And the answer to those questions are found in the answer to much deeper questions, and that's this. What is a human being? And what is our identity? The motivation for giving people their freedom and autonomy is that we think we should allow people to be who they are, to discover their true identity. When um, Caitlyn Jenner uh, publicly came out as her, tr through her transition to a woman, she tweeted this. This was her tweet. I'm so happy after such a long struggle to be living my true self. Welcome to the world, Caitlin. Can't wait for you to get to know her, me. And if we were to challenge that, to challenge people's freedom to express their sexuality like that, it feels like we're denying their rights to be who they want to be. She's living her true self. Facebook recently um, changed so that you could pick from 71 different options when it came to defining your gender. Even that's out of date now. It's so complicated. You, there's just a custom box and you can define it yourself. You can write in what you are. And they explained that change by this. They said, we want to help users be their true, authentic self. It's an identity thing. That's what the world wants us to hear. So here's the question. Well, what does the Bible have to say about our identity and about our freedom? Well, look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Familiar verses to many of you, I'm sure. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the, all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. So the Bible says we're not just genetic mutations, products of time, matter, and chance, but we are creatures made by a loving creator. 
The Bible says we don't have to create our own stories because instead the author of time and space has written us into his story. And Genesis 1 says we've been created male and female. Our physical nature is not incidental to who we are. It is part of the definition of who we are. Our physical sex and the differences of genitalia are part of the way that we reflect the image of God. God, the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit. All equal but different. So human beings are equal but different, male and female. And God delights in the difference. And the passage from Galatians 3 is a a passage in the New Testament that says just that, we're all equal but different. Our bodies matter. Our bodies matter because they are God-given and God-defined. And this is a massive challenge to the modern view of gender. Um, Chaz Bono uh, is the the child of um, Sonny and Cher. And he is a transgender male, and he said this. He says, gender is between your ears and not between your legs. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible highlights the importance in these verses of our physical bodies. It says, Sam Albury tweeted, and I think it's on your handouts, he says, this culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. There was a um, documentary in January on BBC Two, and it was um, focused around a Canadian clinician and researcher who is one of the world's leading experts on gender dysphoria, a guy called Dr. Kenneth Zucker. And uh, he, uh, he lost his job for treating the issue of gender dysphoria as psychological not physical. And um, unusually for the BBC, everything I've read online, I've not seen the documentary because I couldn't access it, um, said that actually it was quite a fair, balanced documentary. It tried to show both sides of the argument. Over 11,000 people petitioned for that documentary not to be shown. You see, the Bible's view of gender is not popular. It says our physical sex determines our gender and that we should respect the way God has made us, male and female. It's not popular. Uh, John Wyatt, who's wrote a number of books, uh, when talking about medicine, his book's primarily about medicine, but he likens our bodies to art masterpieces, wonderful pieces of art. And he likens the role of medicine to an art restorer, someone who takes an old masterpiece and restores it to its former glory. And he says the goal of medicine is not to try and improve the form of painting. You know, here's a very, very famous painting. If I found an old, you know, original copy of that, um, I don't think, oh, it's an art restore. What I'm going to do is I think he needs a pair of glasses (laughs) and a moustache. Now, now that piece of art is flourishing. Do you think? No, of course not. The job of the art restorer is not to improve the original, but... Is to restore the work of art to its former glory. Identity is is not for us to create. It's it's a given. We're human beings made in the image of God, male and female. 
And to tamper with that is, if you like, to deface the artwork that God has made. And I think that's why in the Old Testament, the Bible prohibits cross-dressing. It's, it's saying, look, that doesn't reflect our God-given identity. True freedom. Our, our identity shapes our understanding of freedom, doesn't it? Our nature shapes the constraints, the freedom that we we should have. You know, true freedom is being found in being who we are. A, a fish is not truly free out of water, is it? It's not going to survive. God, as creator and author of the story, has told us how we should live. And if we choose to live outside those boundaries, we'll find that the, the lack and completeness and joy We'll find we lack those things because those things are only found truly when we find ourselves in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. We need to respond with compassion, but we do need to respond with conviction. However, it is really important to note what the Bible doesn't say. Okay? We should not go beyond where the Bible goes on these issues. What the Bible doesn't say about gender is important. The Bible teaches us that male and female are equal but different, and it talks about how we have different roles reflected in Christ and the church. However, outside of how male and female relate to each other, the Bible says very little about what masculinity and femininity should look like. Gender stereotypes and strict rules about how each gender should behave are going to cause people to feel very uncomfortable. Our understanding of masculinity and femininity has changed over time and varies very much from culture to culture. So whether you like physical full-contact sports or arts and dance, whether you love drinking coffee with friends or outdoor adventures, whether you're softly spoken and gentle or rugged and loud and tough. None of these things make you male or female. We must be careful to to promote the importance of male and female, the difference, but not a stereotypical view of gender expression. Because that causes people to feel uncomfortable. So, where have we got to? We've got to then, summary, human beings are created equal and different. But, secondly, human beings are fallen. Just flick on to Genesis chapter 3. So, we've said that God is creator and author of the story. He has the right to constrain humanity for our goods. But what we see in Genesis 3 is Adam and Eve claiming that right for themselves. See? The serpent says to them, verse 1 of chapter 3, did God really say? He's making Adam and Eve question God's words. If they ate the fruit that God had forbidden, you will not surely die, he says, verse 4. 4, verse 5, God, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see what Satan's trying to persuade Adam and Eve here? He's saying, look, if you eat the fruit, then, then you'll know better. You'll know what's right and wrong. And you'll not just know it, you'll be able to set it, you'll be able to define it because you'll have autonomy and freedom because you'll be in charge. 
And Adam and Eve find that temptation too strong, and so they give in. They believe Satan's lies, but they very quickly realize, as Vaughan Roberts uh, says, that their actions are a bid for freedom that leads to a terrible slavery. For at that point, paradise is lost, death entered the world, Adam and Eve are made to leave the garden, the freedom they craved was taken away. And the world will never be the same for us, we live in the consequences of that. Their actions have left the curse on all of us. And as a result, we are broken and distorted from what we should have been. We're disordered. When we're disordered in all sorts of ways, we're disordered physically. In the world now, all sorts of physical ailments and disabilities that now affect humanity, including conditions that affect our reproductive systems and our genitalia. There can be a whole host of different conditions that children are born with. In most cases, it's still very clear what sex people are. A very tiny minority, apparently 0.018%, are born intersex, which is where you're born with the uh, biological attributes of both sexes. And in that very, very rare scenario, parents have to make incredibly hard decisions, and decisions that are sometimes changed in later life. We're disordered physically, but... But that is a very it's tiny, tiny minority. For everyone else, sex isn't a scale. It's we're male or female. We're disordered physically, but our, our minds are also disordered. And all of us are affected. We, we don't think as we should. Some of us are prone to anxiety or depression. Some of us are prone to pride or arrogance. Those things and gender dysphoria are results of our minds not working as they should. Now, for all of us, disordered minds will be a product of nature and nurture. Mark Yarhouse, who is a Christian professor of psychology, has written lots of these issues. He says, ultimately, we don't know why people struggle with these things. And what is very clear is that we shouldn't necessarily assign moral blame on people because of how they feel. The triggers for gender dysphoria, like anxiety and depression, are often just the result of living in a disordered world with disordered minds, rather than the result of any particular sin. We're disordered physically, we're disordered in our minds, but we also have disordered hearts. Because all of us, like Adam and Eve want to be in charge. In Romans 1 language, it's this, isn't it? Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's our natural state before God. And as consequence, Romans 1 says, some of us turn away from natural relationships for unnatural ones. Our hearts don't want to recognize God or respect his rule. That's why we want to create our own stories. So we're disordered. Our identity, we are created, but we are fallen. But thirdly, and thankfully, the story of our identity doesn't stop there, for we are redeemed. 
The good news of God's story is that God's son steps into the story, steps into the world that was made through him in order to remove the disorder and restore the world to what it was supposed to be. Jesus did not try to grasp for God's authority as Adam and Eve had done. Instead, using the words of Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Uh, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus lives the perfect life. He, he dies the death that we deserve that he didn't. And he rises from the grave, a sign of the new life that he offers us. And when someone trusts in Jesus, they experience complete forgiveness. He gives us new hearts and we find ourselves desiring to serve him, not ourselves. We find our desires falling in line, or at least more in line with what God intended them to be. And God promises that he will perfectly renew our minds and our bodies. However, there is no guarantee that that will happen in this world. And in, according to Romans 8, creation and God's people groan. We groan as we continue to live in the world, longing for the disorder to be removed. And so the challenge for the Christian is to grow in denying our old sinful desires, because that's not us anymore, and instead following the spirits, the new desires that God gives us. But God often chooses to use these struggles use our disordered bodies and our disordered minds to grow us and mature us in faith and help us to become more like Jesus. And many of you will know that to be true. Through our struggles, God refines us. See, in the Bible, there's, there's no assurance that if we become a Christian, anxiety or depression or gender dysphoria will, will go away. Just as people live... Uh, with same-sex attraction for their whole life, so some people might live with gender dysphoria for their whole life. But God, in his grace, can use our struggles to grow us in our faith and dependence on him. And the wonderful truth of the Bible is that our struggle will not go on forever. See, those who trust in Christ have a perfect future, where in a world we will be free of every disorder, heart, mind, and body, perfectly knowing God, perfectly in relationship with each other. Sam Albury uh, says, I, sums it up in this really helpful quote. He says, embracing Christ doesn't guarantee resolution in this life to the bodily brokenness we experience, but it does give us a sure and confident hope that we will, be, we will have a perfect relationship in, with our body in the world to come. Okay, we've rattled through quite a lot of stuff there, okay, so this is the start of a conversation. Let's just draw things to a close by thinking, how does all this stuff we've been thinking about work out practically? How does this, how might we practically respond to these issues? Well, let me first of all speak here to anyone um, who might struggle with some of these things. If that's you, then don't let your struggle be a lonely one. Often people, when we think about these issues and feel this sense of gender dysphoria, they can feel a, a real sense of shame. 
But whatever our struggle, lust, greed, gender dysphoria, our, our battle is one that is easier when it's shared with our brothers and sisters. We all need the help and prayers of each other. Sanctification, growing in holiness, is a community project. And remember, these struggles do not define you. They might describe you, but they don't define you. Because your identity is as a child of God, creating his image, fallen, but redeemed and restored in Christ. But what about as a church family? Well, we've said we must respond with compassion and conviction. Jesus welcomed everyone, didn't he? The, um, the Philip, who was one of the first people that Philip brought to Jesus, to a Christian? It was the Ethiopian eunuch, whose sexuality wasn't a barrier to him coming to Christ at all. If one day a transgender man or woman walks into these doors at St. Mary's, I hope that we don't bat an eyelid. Just like Derby CU didn't when a transgender woman came along to their CU meeting and then wanted to come on their weekend away. There's all sorts of issues they had to work through. But they welcomed her and loved her. Our greatest longing as a church family should be for people to come to know Jesus, to experience that restoration and forgiveness. And so we begin with that goal. We see them as people in need of the gospel. And we must not expect instant Christian maturity. For how many of us sorted our lives out the very first day we became a Christian? We've all got loads of struggles that are ongoing. And for some people, that's sexuality. We should be patient and trust that the Lord will change over time and will help people as they persevere in those struggles to, to keep going. But what about family and friends? I think as um, parents, or I imagine as parents, we can feel particularly vulnerable when we're thinking about these things. What if it's my son? What if it's my friend, my daughter? And in those situations, we so want our friends and family to be assured of our love and compassion that we don't want to speak, but then at the same time, we don't want to shy away from our convictions. And we don't know how to respond, and it's hard. These conversations will be hard. Sometimes, occasionally, despite all your compassion... People might so hate your convictions that they cut you off. That sometimes happens. But in my experience from uh, friends, it, that experience is not common. For in the context of care and love and relationship, differing convictions can be talked about over time and with grace. I think as, as parents, we... we don't need to worry too much if our child doesn't conform to the stereotypical views of masculinity and femininity. And we mustn't panic if a child expresses some form of gender dysphoria at a young age. The research seems to suggest that most children do grow out of thinking that way when they um, reach adolescence. However, and I think this is important, our current culture 
The current climate is increasingly affirming of people making the transition at very young ages. That boy in the video is 10 years old. And so if a child says to us and raises some of these feelings, just dismissing them by saying, you'll go out of it, don't worry, that's not going to be helpful to them. Because what they'll do is they'll go and find a voice, they'll go and hear and find an ear that will listen to them and affirm them. And we want to make sure that the, our kids, our young people, are listening to us, not what culture is saying. And so it might be as a parent we have to sit down and have a, a tricky conversation with our young people, affirm them, love them, not dismiss them. We mustn't shy away from talking about these things with our children, but we mustn't panic. Finally then, we thought about how we might react personally, as a church family, with family and friends. What about in society? Well, here's the question. If you uh, meet a transgender person on the street or uh, as an acquaintance at work and they introduce themselves, should you call them by their new name or by the name that relates to their birth sex? What should you call them? Now, some Christian organisations say that we should call them by their birth sex name. Because to do otherwise will be perceived as an endorsement of their transition. That's one view. And many others, including Vaughan Roberts, uh, and I think I line up with him, would disagree with that. For Vaughan Roberts helpfully says that our engagement with people must begin with compassion and respect. And how can you begin to even engage with someone if you're not willing to acknowledge the name by which they call themselves. We're to treat people with dignity and to seek to build relationships. Ultimately, we want people to hear the good news of Jesus. And so I think we should treat people and call, use the names that people want to be called by. And if in wider society... Our culture continues down this trajectory. How do we respond? Well, I think we need to fight for the right to express an opinion, even if it offends. Because that has implications for all our faith, for all the things that we hold dear. Our primary goal is not to preach against transgender. Our goal is to speak of Christ and to offer the world the hope and redemption that it so badly needs. To offer people the chance to come from disorder to redemption and restoration. We begin with compassion and we speak with conviction. Just um, some further reading, just some helpful things you might want to read to follow up on this. One is the book by Vaughan Roberts, as I've um, already mentioned. Another book is this, it's by Glyn Harrison, it's called A Better Story. And uh, it's all about the more broader issues of sex uh, in our society and the better story that we have as Christians to tell. I do highly recommend that. Here's a book I've not read. I've um, found it helpful reading some of the quotes from it this week. Uh, Mark Yarhouse, Understanding Gender Dysphoria. And finally, there's um, an article on the Jubilee uh, Centre website by Christopher Townsend that I found really helpful in preparing these things. Those are on your sheet at the bottom. Um, so do follow those up. I'll be around afterwards. Do come and talk to me. 
Thank you for your patience this evening. I realise it's been a little bit longer than normal. But I think, because of the sensitivity of these issues, we can't just rush through. We have to set a framework. We have to think about how we engage. And so, thank you for being patient. Shall we pray as we finish? Father God, we do thank you for the wonderful hope of redemption that we have in Jesus. And we thank you that you meet all of us with our disordered minds and bodies and hearts and you offer us redemption and restoration in Jesus. And thank you for that perfect future that we will all enjoy where one day we are, our identity is truly restored to what it should always have been. Us in perfect relationship with you with perfect bodies and perfect minds, perfect hearts, through our perfect Saviour. Amen.